We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Goes the Torah, the podcast that looks at pop culture from a Jewish point of view and looks at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. My name is Michael Knopf. I am the rabbi of Temple Beth El, the oldest and largest conservative congregation in central Virginia. I'm Jesse Olitsky. I'm rabbi at Congregation Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey. I guess we franchise out that Bethel name. <laughs> uh, the most clever of all the synagogue names that are out there, Bethel, I appreciate your originality. Uh, Jesse and I have been friends and uh, pop culture aficionados and lovers of Judaism uh, for uh, a long time. And we uh, are the, excited. The term is fanboy. Fanboys uh, for a long time, and I, and I've been a fanboy of uh, of Jesse for a long time too. So it's really exciting to be able to uh, come together and uh, share our love of uh, Judaism and pop culture with each other and with you. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the new Amazon Prime series, The Boys. Jesse, you want to tell boys. us a little bit? The Boys. You want to tell us a little bit about the boys, Jesse? Sure. Um, first of all, a, a warning ahead of time. I feel like we have to do this. Uh, oh, yeah. That it is certainly TVMA. So anybody who's watching, be prepared for a very dark uh, comedy, but, but pretty gruesome, pretty violent, uh, and a bit sexually graphic, but also pretty hysterical with a lots of commentary on society as a whole. Uh, the right. Boys is a series for Amazon Prime based on the graphic novel, uh, and it focuses on uh, a world where soups, as they call themselves, as superheroes exist. Um, but it also focuses on the corporate nature of superheroes, uh, the way that they are uh, franchised out and licensed out, um, and they're really just in the world of making money, centers around the main group of superheroes, the seven, which is uh, really uh, a parody on, I would say, mostly the Justice League um, and, and kind of hysterical how it makes fun of these um, generalizations of certain comic book characters. Homelander, the leader of uh, the seven, is supposed to be this uh, American hero, a little bit like Captain America in the Marvel world. But very or much Superman, like Superman, yeah. very much like Superman. Turns out he's like the biggest asshole of the bunch. He's supposed to be this clean cut American, um, but he is really uh, uh, the worst out of all of them. That's a good moment to say that if you haven't watched The Boys yet, um, we are not going to avoid spoilers in this conversation. Um, so uh, there was a minor spoiler in what uh, in what Jesse said um, and uh, about Homelander. Uh, if you don't want any spoilers on the boys, listen no further. Join us again after you've watched the show. Spoiler alert. Uh, it goes into... Uh, Retroactive spoiler <laughs> alert. <goes> into, 
Queen Maeve, who very much is reminiscent of Wonder Woman um, and uh, is a uh, closeted queer individual. Um, and I think very much plays on the uh, queer tropes of the comic book superhero Wonder Woman uh, among the Amazonian women uh, and uh, that sort of narrative. Uh, Chase Crawford plays The Deep, which is totally uh, a parody on Aquaman, totally making fun of him, uh, making fun of the way that Aquaman in the DC comics would talk to sea animals, his best friends, were dolphins and porpoises, uh, and they realize even in the seven, they make fun of him. They're like, who is this guy? What are your superheroes? Great, you have gills. Um, but the, the whole purpose of the series itself is to focus on the, uh, this group of vigilantes who were really um, harmed and hurt by the seven, uh, that they have, uh, that they are the victims of collateral damage that I think uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe touches on a little. We talk about the Sokovia Accords and that sort of thing, uh, but the boys really dig deep into this idea of the collateral damage uh, of superheroes. The idea that it's it starts off with the main character, I would say Huey, where his girlfriend is killed by A-Train, the guy who is supposed to be most reminiscent, I guess, of The Flash, who right. Just runs right through right. her. Uh, and uh, so much of the comic book story and narrative of these superheroes is all the great things that they do. And they sweep under the rug the collateral damage of these superheroes. And it really uh, takes a dark turn to try to confront and bring to light uh, the negatives of the soup culture uh, and how uh, Vought Industries and Vought International, which is the corporation that really owns and controls the seven and many superheroes, how they really try to control uh, the narrative to give a positive, only a positive narrative to the superheroes in society. Right. And, and uh, that's a really great uh, uh, segue to, to talk about some of the underlying themes that are that are present here. You know, the the, the notion that uh, the superhero is really kind of under the purview of a large corporation that uh, that controls the narrative around what the superheroes are doing, that shapes their image. So much of the show is about the image and the reputation of uh, of these superheroes, that it matters much more uh, what the public thinks about these superheroes than who they actually are and what they do, which is a very, um, I think, keen observation about the, uh, about the broader culture that we're, that we're living in, right? That, uh, that if you do an act of goodness or an act of heroism, um, that, it, that, it, uh, that, that we are in a culture now where um, that, that it doesn't matter, it didn't count if you didn't uh, publicize it on social media. We, we sort of like craft, you know, we're in this uh, uh, era in which you know, we uh, we sort of see ourselves as uh, not individuals, not as human beings, but as brands uh, that we need to maintain, and uh, that you know uh, that we're that we care very much about the public perception of our brand, our our social media presence um, is uh, is a persona rather than a personality, uh, and uh, and that you know in some sense we pay less attention to how we actually engage with each other in real life. Uh, uh, so long as what people perceive outside, you know, the broader uh, the, the broader picture of us is positive, right? So the you know, so um, uh, the, I think a, a really great example of that in the show is um, 
probably one of the you know pivotal moments in uh, in the in the first season um, is when um, Homelander and Queen Maeve are dispatched to uh, to to save an airplane that's been hijacked by terrorists uh, before the government is able to get there, uh, and uh, and the the rescue is going well until Homelander. Uh, laser beams uh, through uh, one of the terrorists, uh, destroying the whole navigation system of the plane. Um, the plane is going to crash. He uh, realizes that there's really not much, or he, he decides that there's really not much he's going to be able to do to be able to save the plane and the, and the passengers on it. Um, Queen Maeve is much more conflicted about uh, how to save people, whether or not to save people. But Homelander insists that she not save anybody, that it's better that there be no survivors and that uh, and that uh, people don't even know that they were there in the first place. So that preserves the public reputation of the superheroes, even at the uh, cost of um, the you know hundreds of lives that are on the plane uh, and the thousands of lives that are going to hang in the balance um, because a lot of uh, the public persona uh, issue that's being raised here is whether or not uh, the government is going to allow uh, soups to become part of national defense. And the Vought, the corporation, um, is arguing, and with Homelander's uh, energy, is arguing very hard to enable the soups to become part of national defense. And they don't want to, uh, they don't want to uh, create any scenario that's going to uh, derail that objective. Um, uh, and uh, and this creates a a great pretense uh, for being able to argue that this is exactly why. The government needs soups to be able to be part of national defense so they can prevent tragedies like this from happening when, after all, the tragedy was exacerbated by the soups. Right. So it's all about the, how, you know, how um, uh, how we shape our public persona rather than pay attention to the the the, the inner morality of the individual acts that we're that we're choosing to do or not to do. And I think right, we do that ourselves too, all of us. Uh, as you said, Mike, the image that we present ourselves on Facebook or Instagram is a certain image, right? We often scroll through our social media feeds and we ask ourselves, um, how is it possible that everybody else is doing great, right? That everybody else is happy, that everybody else has perfect children, uh, that everybody else is taking these post photos and our lives seem so chaotic at times, but the reality is that we're not putting our full selves out there, um, that right. we're only putting a version of ourselves out there, a fake version of ourselves out there that we want the whole world to see. We don't put out our vulnerabilities. Um, and you know, we're at this very interesting time at uh, on the Hebrew calendar, we just had uh, observed Tisha B'Av, the saddest day on uh, the entire year on the calendar. And these next weeks between Tisha B'Av and eventually Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, are meant to slowly lift us up from the bottom of the bottom, from the bottom of the totem pole to the highest of highs. And part of that, especially during the Hebrew month of Elul, when we begin the Days of Awe, is really to have this Cheshbon HaNefesh, to really do this... Uh, this checking of the self and checking of the soul, this internal reflection uh, and retrospection to really ask ourselves, who are we? Who do we want to be? And how do we present our full selves? How do we put our full selves out there into the world to share our full selves? You know, the uh, one of the newest members of the seven uh, is uh, this character, uh, Annie January, who plays Starlight. Uh, she's a, a, a character um, meant to be a sort of Midwestern 
cute, sweet, simple, humble, uh, religious Christian young woman um, who is totally excited and, and totally humbled by the opportunity to join the seven. Uh, and what's the first act that happens is actually she gets sexually assaulted by another member of the seven. Later, she finds out that she isn't a miracle at all in the sense that she wasn't born with these gifts. But uh, all of these soups, a huge spoiler alert, um, yeah. are the result of medical experiences, medical experiments that Vought International was doing to babies, uh, injecting them with, with, with this... Uh, this serum with this uh, superhero steroid to cause them to have these uh, superhero powers. Uh, and right. she finally puts it out there and she acknowledges it, right? She's in this Christian uh, evangelical convention and she says, you know, I am who I am and I'm not going to continue to pretend to be something that I'm not. And I actually think it's something that all of us could, could look to and learn from that when we only present a certain narrative and we only present a certain self, uh, or a version of ourselves, uh, we're not really putting our full selves out there. And part of that is our own fault. It's society's fault. When we go on the, sh on the elevator with somebody and we say, hey, how are you? We actually aren't interested in hearing how they are, right? We just want them to say, oh, I'm good. Right. How are you? And we respond fine. But what this is really deeply about, it's about something different, right? It's about yeah. putting our yeah. full selves out there, um, which Vought International, Vought Industries, was unwilling to do with the seven. They needed a certain image because that image made money. You put your full self out there, you put, make yourself vulnerable, and you're no longer a cash cow. Right. And, and I, I do want to circle back at some point uh, to the uh, the role that uh, religion plays in the show because I think it's it's so interesting. I think it's worth us talking about. But I but I just want to add on to this. I mean, you know, it's, I think I'm, I I was really struck uh, by the way after Starlight. Uh, uh, exposes what had happened to her and gave this really kind of empowering speech at that Christian convention that the, that the corporation turns around and say, you know was angry with her initially but realized how well it was playing with audiences and so then so then uh, uh, crafted this you know like kind of like globbed onto that persona on her and said oh good like this is your brand now right your brand is uh, is you know female empowerment you know, like, like taking down the patriarchy and like, we can, we can make money on this. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I, I think about that, you know, um, we, we have that so much in our, in our culture too, you know, where, uh, you know, Pepsi in the Super Bowl uh, last year or the year before, uh, you know, made waves that, uh, that they, that they um, uh, made an ad that capitalized on the like resistance uh, movements that had arisen after uh, uh, Trump's election uh, that, uh, you know, that in some ways I, I just watched a Coors commercial that I think was meant to be a like post Me Too female empowerment uh, commercial. Uh, I'm not sure if it actually landed that way, but I think it, that was the marketer's intention. This idea that like that we that we can monetize even altruism and even uh, like like earnest, sincere movements for like personal liberation uh and and social good right everything is a commodity right and uh and 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 i and i think that that's a real challenge in our time um to uh um uh, to to not get caught up in that sort of material culture that says you know like like even uh, uh even the good that you're doing um is not 
worth anything unless it can be sold. Uh, and, uh, and, and that we sometimes, um, are, you know, don't, don't get swept up by the good until it's something that we can buy. Um, you know, we sort of allow ourselves to be, uh, to be seduced by, uh, by, by, by money, by possessions, um, by, you know, by what essentially advertising does, which is to say that, you know, you're, you're deficient in the way that you are. And so in order to be, you know, part of the cool crowd, you got to buy our, our product. Um, so what, what I think is really just to kind of, uh, um, uh, veer from that for a second, I thought, uh, Jesse, that the show was so smart to, um, to present everything essentially from the point of view of these two young individuals uh, who grew up idolizing the soups um, right. and then had their, and then they had their like myths shattered for in various ways, right? You had Huey who grew up as a, you know, a fanboy of, uh, of the seven and of, of superheroes whose girlfriend was just demolished by um uh by a train uh running through her uh and uh it sets him down a path <clears throat> of wanting to uh to, to yeah. a, a vengeance and wanting to expose uh, uh the soups and the and then uh, starlight's path of you know really idolizing uh the soups and wanting to be part of the seven and working her way up to be to get into this group and when she finally gets in realizing how um how corrupt uh, and how broken the system is, um, you know, it, it was, it was, I just think a really smart, I don't know. I, I, did you read the, did you read the comics or the graphic novel? Yeah, I, I did. I, I only, uh, read it after the series. Um, and it uh, appears it's, 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 um, pretty different. The, the core is the same, uh, especially the ending of this, of the season one is quite different than the graphic novel. The characters of, of course are the same. Uh, got it. So I didn't, I don't know. I didn't read the graphic novel, so I don't know if they, uh, this was true of the graphic novel too, but I just thought it was a very smart. So I don't know how much of it was the decision by the showrunners uh, to, uh, to to kind of craft the narrative that way. But I thought it was, uh, you know, really uh, meant for for us, the audience, you know, an audience that um, that is infatuated at the moment um, with basically everything superheroes, and this is certainly true of us fanboys. Uh, but yeah. uh, but really of the broader culture, right? Avengers Endgame. I've seen, was, I've seen a game fifteen times. Right. So I haven't quite hit that mark, but uh, but it is now thanks partially to you, Jesse, uh, the, the highest grossing movie of all time. Right. So you don't you don't get you don't get to uh, be uh, uh, to, to be in that tier of films unless you are tapping into something deep within the culture. Right. So there's something pervasive about superheroes right now and our and our infatuation with them. And I think the show is trying to make an, uh, you know, trying to have us identify with Huey and with Starlight, encouraging us to be suspicious and to distrust uh, our heroes, because in a sense, they're being sold to us. Um, and, uh, and, you know, not for the sake of heroism, uh, but for the for the sake of, uh, of corporate greed. But my, what I wanted to bring that to, Jesse, you brought up Tisha B'Av, before there's this classic rabbinic story about uh, Tisha B'Av, uh, featuring two characters named Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, uh, and the story goes like this: that uh, um, I actually can't remember which one is which. Um, I think that's kind of the point. But um, uh, uh, um, uh, a wealthy man uh, makes a, uh, a a big party uh, in Jerusalem and uh, invites uh, his friend Kamsa, uh, uh, but. Uh, 
the invitation accidentally goes to a person that he really dislikes named Barkamsa. Uh, and Barkamsa shows up to the party uh, and the and the you know wealthy person who's throwing the party tells him to get out. I hate you. Why are you even here? And Barkamsa says, listen, you know, I understand. I was surprised that I got the invitation too, but uh, but it's going to be totally embarrassing to me if you if you kick me out. Just let me stay. I'll make myself scarce. Like, I won't eat any of the shrimp cocktail. Um, like, uh, uh, just, just, just don't cause me the embarrassment of kicking me out of this party. But uh, nevertheless, he's, uh, he's kicked out of the party. Uh, and he notices as he kicked out that there are great rabbis at the party um, that he would have thought would have spoken up on his behalf. Um, so as to say, like, you know, embarrassing somebody publicly is one of the worst things that you can do in Jewish tradition. Um, don't do this, but they didn't speak out. So he goes and, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, informs uh, uh, on some of those rabbis uh, to the Roman authorities, uh, which, uh, which, which causes the Romans, uh, which causes essentially a chain of events uh, that leads to the destruction of the temple. And I think one of the things that that story says to me is, and it's a very subversive story that rabbinic tradition offers, is that, you know, is, is essentially, you know, um, you know, some people are better at, uh, at playing at good than being good, right? And it's, uh, and, and, it's, and it's worth being suspicious even of your heroes, right? And here for Tisha B'Av, you know, what results in calamity is that it's a story essentially with no heroes, right? Where, where everybody is, is fatally flawed, except for maybe Kamsa, who doesn't go to the party at all. Um, uh, and, uh, and that sort of, um, that, that animosity, that lack of uh, uh, concern with the welfare of the other, and the failure of even people who are understood to be good people to speak out um, is what results in, in calamity. And I, I just saw echoes of that throughout the boys, right? That that we should be suspicious of our uh, of our heroes. Uh, that uh, uh, that even even good people um, are sometimes fatally flawed. Uh, you know, Huey is not always a sympathetic character in the in the sure. show, even though he's the show's uh, moral center in, in a sense. Um, moral center who ends up murdering, you know, uh, uh, superheroes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, so what, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, Jesse, that, you know, the, the connection between, um, uh, between this story and, and Tisha and the themes of Tisha B'Av that we just observed. The Kamsa Bar Kamsa story, um, is one that's meant to teach, uh, that it was Sinat Hinam, that it was baseless hatred, senseless hatred, uh, that ended up destroying the second temple. But what's fascinating to me is, as you said, that, the rabbis told this story about their colleagues. Right. 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 It was colleagues of previous generations, but still it was a social commentary and self-reflection on themselves um, to really say, are we doing enough? And I look at society as a whole without trying to sound too, too rabbinic. And right, we ask ourselves that all the time with everything going on in this world. Um, when is it our responsibility as humanity to speak up and stand up? Do we only speak up and stand up when something directly affects us? Um, or do we sort of hide in our own privilege and only uh, and um, ignore the travesties and tragedies that are going on daily um, 
because they don't directly affect us. But I think the lesson of the corruption of leaders, right? This may be about superheroes, but who are superheroes? Who are the ones that that have the ability and opportunity to make real change in society? I think it's our elected officials in many ways, right? right? And we're often find disappointments in them. They have the ability to do good or they have the ability to uh, do things only that benefit them and their peers. Uh, and when push comes to shove, are we going to be the rabbis that are silent at the party right. um, and allow for embarrassment? Or are we going to be the ones that risk ourselves and risk our lives and, and stand up, right? It's Starlight who ends up saving the day at the end. All of these characters who make up this motley crew, these vigilantes of the boys, end up uh, getting captured. Uh, by some of these um, agents that Vought has hired, and they're in jail, and Huey actually sacrifices himself to get imprisoned as well, just so he could try to break them out of prison, and they think they're doing okay until they're surrounded by all of these mercenary soldiers, and it's Starlight who ends up coming to the rescue, who ends up using her superpowers to save these guys, uh, because she can't deal with letting people be hurt or harmed um, for her own benefit, right? It's no different than what Rabbi Hillel used to teach, right? Mm-hmm. in a place where people aren't doing the right thing, it doesn't matter how unpopular the opinion is, you have to step up, you have to do the right thing. It's easy to do what is right when everybody else around us is doing what's right. It's a lot harder when nobody is. And I think for a lot of us, in our going back to social media, in our own social media bubbles, we're posting all the time articles that everybody agrees with. We put right. ourselves in these own silos um, and want to be in communities of comforts. But the reality is we need to stand up and speak out to those who disagree with us because it's them that need to hear our voices more it's there that we need to be the voice for the downtrodden, uh, to stand up for the most vulnerable, not to uh, worry about how we present ourselves for approval, but how we present ourselves in a time of, of justice and righteousness. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with everything that you said. And, and you know, what I, what I started thinking about is, you know, the ways in which, um, uh, first of all, the, the, the parallel between um, our, you know, political leaders and uh, the the superheroes in in the show, right? That uh, that that um, that so often it feels like um, our leaders are are much more interested in you know in what the public perception is of what they're doing rather than what than what they're doing themselves. You know that you know um, you take an issue like gun control, right? It, it feels like you know uh, so often there's um, there's grandstanding on both sides about uh, about the issue without recognizing. You know, like what is the what is the actual work that can be done? It doesn't really matter to them that there might actually be real work that could get done, so long as to their supporters they maintain the persona that they've carefully crafted for themselves. We have a we have a you know, not to get too political about this, but we have a you know we have a reality TV president, you know, who who sort of I think captured people's imagination because their perception of him was that you know he was uh, he was willing to speak plainly. Uh, and say things that other politicians weren't willing to say to right to 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 not worry about the um, uh, the uh, you know the, the the crafting of his persona whatever he was just gonna like tell it like it is, is what people have said about him of course no 
now, as many of us knew then, um, that 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 was that that was simply the persona that that uh, he was taking on. Uh, now there may be really you know uh, troubling and very disturbing aspects of both persona and what's at the core of it. Um, but uh, but 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 in, in a sense, right? Um, I think that uh, that that for most of us, we understand um, him to just be as phony as uh, as as the politicians that he railed against for being phony so the so the challenge i think for us right the the rabbis of the mishnah um you know uh, put this in very stark terms it says you know be be uh, be suspicious of the government it says in pirkei avot um because uh, they uh, they they act as your friend when it benefits them uh but uh but when they no longer need you they'll cast you aside I think one of the lessons of that is to pay less attention to whether or not we think that uh, leaders are our friends, whether or not we like their public image, and pay a lot more attention to the to the very specific things that they are either doing or not doing. And in order to do that, we actually have to kind of cut through their own media projections um, and also the 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 the, the narrative film the narrative lens that uh, that some of these things get spoken about through um, to be able to see no like talkless you know what what actually are they doing right to look at the superheroes and the boys and say okay you know homelander has this great image like talkless what has he done or not done right and um, and, and so that that's incumbent I think on all of us um, to uh, to hold our leaders accountable but also to hold um, to hold accountable those who tell us their stories um, so that we can really know the truth about what they're doing or not doing, what they're saying or being silent about. Um, in this season of reflection that we're approaching and soon entering, right, it's an opportunity for each of us to look into ourselves and see uh, what is the image of ourselves even that we are presenting to the world versus what is our own reality. I, I, I love that. You know, there's this tradition about uh, Yom Kippur, um, that uh, the, the full name of Yom Kippur in Hebrew is Yom HaKippurim, uh, uh, the, the Day of Atonement. Uh, but, uh, but some rabbinic tradition says that it, we should read it as Yom Kippurim, right? It's a day like Purim. Uh, and so uh, it, because Purim is a time in which we put on and take off masks. Uh, and so Yom Kippur ought to be a time to ask ourselves, you know, uh, is this the real me? What is the real me? What's the mask that I'm putting on? Am I putting on a mask right here, right now, when I'm trying to present myself before God, when I'm trying to make amends with my family? Uh, you know, how how do I uh, how do I reveal the the and live the truth of who I am deep down, um, rather than just how I want people to perceive me? Circle back to quickly to their um, to the way that they present religion. Oh yes, yes, uh, thank you. Sort of tent revival um, idea of religion. There's a superhero in his own right, Ezekiel, um, who I think presents, and this is really difficult for me, I'm sure it is for you as well, as a rabbi, as a leader of a religious community, because I think that idea and image um, is almost cult like um, and, and so similar to what. Uh, so many religious leaders and how so many religious leaders present themselves today, right? Almost saying that the acts of these soups, of these superheroes who present themselves as holier than thou, but but in reality uh, are actually pretty corrupt, 
is the same as the leader of this religious fanatical group. Um, and we see the hypocrisy of many faith leaders in this country as well who say that they stand for faith, but again are silent. Um, going back to this idea of, right, when you're in a place where there's no worthy people, nobody doing the right thing, stand up and do the right thing, uh, they are totally content to be in silence, staying seated, refusing to do the right thing. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, I, 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 I was really intrigued by the place of religion on the show. In some ways, I agree with you 100%. And in other ways, I feel like it was like the least brave thing that the show did, like the, the least interesting thing that the show did, because the, the trope of um, religious hypocrisy is, um, is, is, is so uh, um, prevalent you know, the presence of superheroes didn't change religion at all. You know, like it, it actually in some ways totally undercuts. Well, I was surprised to see so many people at a religious tent revival because if there are, um, uh, if there are, you know, uh, superhumans in the world, like what good is religion anymore, right? You can't pray your way to become Homelander. Um, you know, it, it, so it, it just, it just feels like a, a it, it felt like, in that kind of world, religion would be beside the point. But I don't know. Maybe they were making a, a, a broader point about like how you know if there were you know if, if there were soups in our world, uh, religion would co-opt them too, and they would use religion for their own purposes. Well, I think for a lot of them, and especially those who uh, like Annie, didn't realize that they were uh, the result of a medical experiment, um, that they were a lab rat. Uh, they saw themselves as a miracle of God, right? That they saw themselves born with these special gifts and qualities, uh, almost angelic, right? A, a little less than God, divine in, in some way to be given these gifts, right? No different than the Torah itself. When the Torah refers to um, an angel uh, in, in the text, right? These malachim, uh, what we're really talking about are, are human beings and how human beings throughout the Torah, whether they're, the three individuals who visit Abraham, whether it's the one person in the field who sends Joseph to find his brothers, whether it's whomever it is that Jacob is wrestling with at night. These are all human beings who have divine qualities within them. And I think what uh, the show is attempting to suggest is that these special qualities make you uh, miraculous, that they're God-given talents. Uh, and yet, when they find out that they are the result of a medical experiment, they suggest that they're actually not divine, that they're actually no longer miracles, uh, which is a much deeper question to think about, because right, when we talk about prayers for health and healing, we're not as much talking about God's intervention as much as we're talking about uh, God focusing God's strength and power on the doctors and nurses and caregivers who have the courage and knowledge and wisdom to and skills to do surgery, to heal, to come up with a medical plan um, that people can still be divine, can still be angels in our lives, that even if they're influenced by other human beings and it's not necessarily that it comes directly from God, it's that uh, our angelic characteristics come indirectly from God. Uh, but right, the, I, the show really couldn't grapple with that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have a, I have a slightly different take on on a lot of that. You know that uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that when the Bible talks about you know the the the, the person who comes to wrestle with Jacob or the or the people who visit Abraham that that it that you know it, that it's talking about uh, uh, human beings that have divine qualities. I mean, I think that in some of those cases, um, it, you know, it, it's it's more literally talking about uh, divine beings. Um, uh, or, you know, another way of thinking about angels in the Bible is are like manifestations of the divine. Um, but but I, but I actually think that the presence of those characters in the Bible, you know, are are sort of like plot devices in a way that that um, the, the heroes of the Bible are the human characters, right? And what's so that's what I think is, uh, in a sense, like so much more. I don't know subversive about the Bible than about uh, the boys is that you know like or, like. Like there's a reason why the Bible has the central figures, even the ones we're supposed meant to look up to, to be uh, deeply human characters with deeply human flaws, right? Think of think of you know Abraham, uh, um, you know, going to sacrifice Isaac, or or Sarah demanding that Hagar be cast out, or or you know Jacob's manipulation, Moses's uh, anger issues. Right? I mean, these are deeply human and deeply flawed characters. We're meant to. Um, learn from them in some senses to strive to be like them, but recognizing that uh, that neither they were divine uh, in in a in, in a beyond the sense that all human beings have a, have divinity in them, but but neither that they were divine, um, nor are we expected to be divine by emulating with them. Right? We're not called to be angels; we're called to be people. Right? The, 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 you know the, right. the the passage that you recited from the Mishnah. Where there's where there's no where there's no people strive to be a person, right? There's a reason that that mission doesn't say um, we're in a place where there's no angels strive to be an angel, right? Because we're, that's not what we're asked to do. We're not asked to be perfect. We're not asked to be superior. We're asked to be good, right? And good doesn't mean perfect. Good means good. And I think ultimately what the message of the show is is that um is that the the people that we sort of idealize as being perfect um are profoundly imperfect um and uh you know and, and in some ways the 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 you know the people that are usually portrayed in in our culture as being the good guys are actually the bad guys of the show and the heroes of the show you know are, are trying to do the best they can and are really um in a really terrible world, make some choices that are that are really questionable. I think that ultimately, what it's you know what it's trying to say is um, that uh, that that our goal should not be to to strive to be superheroes, uh, but or, or strive to be perfect, to strive to be angels, uh, but to strive to be uh, people, to be the, the the best people that we can be. Um, uh, ultimately, good people. Um, I think that um, you know there's a reason why uh, Judaism has uh, Yom Kippur only one day a year. One day a year we get to uh, play at being angels, uh, but uh, the tradition recognizes that that's unsustainable. Um, and uh, and uh, what we're really supposed to be doing is to uh, strive to be uh, the, the best people that we can be, recognizing that we're always going to be imperfect, that we're always going to, going to uh, fall short of the mark in some way, uh, and that we learn from those mistakes. And uh, with each passing day, with each passing year, uh, we strive to do it a little bit better. I think that's a, a nice place to end on. It reminds me of the 
Hasidic story uh, of of Zusia, right? That who who was on his deathbed and his students mm-hmm. uh, saw him crying, and they said, "You're such a righteous and pious person. Um, what do you have to be worried about?" And he said, "You know, I do not worry that when I die, uh, God will not ask me uh, why weren't you more like Moses." Uh, who took the Israelites out of slavery. I'm not worried that God will ask me, why were you not like Joshua, who led them into the promised lands? God will say, Zeusia, why aren't you more like Zeusia? That, that um, you know, we, we strive to be the best version of ourselves. I love that. Or in the language of the boys, you know, God's not going to say, why weren't you Homelander? Why weren't you the deep? Why weren't you Queen Maeve? Uh, why weren't you Huey? So with a couple of minutes that we have left, um, let's focus on what are we going for? Uh, Mike, what are, are you uh, listening to or reading or, or watching in, in the world of pop culture? Yeah, so I have uh, two things this week. I have one that I was going to share uh, and then one that I just uh, stumbled on today that, that I really love. Uh, they're both Netflix. Uh, they're both Netflix titles. Uh, one is called Blown Away. It is a glass-blowing competition uh, kind of shot in the in the vein of uh, Master Chef or one of those kind of uh, uh, cooking competition shows, but this is a show of uh, a really exceptional, extraordinary glass artists. Um, it is beautiful to watch. Really, really interesting in terms of the craft and technique and artistry, um, but also uh, uh, has some uh, really deep insights about uh, about the fragility of uh, the of the craft um, and therefore the fragility of life. The need to kind of move forward and and to make do with what you have. Um, uh, how how, how um, uh, heat and uh, challenge uh, can be what refines us. So um, I, I really recommend uh, uh, Blown Away on Netflix. I'm going for that. But the uh, thing I saw uh, today that I also want to recommend is um, Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling. Okay, it's also a Netflix <laughs> show. Rocco's Modern Life was a beloved cartoon uh, in the 1990s on Nickelodeon. Um, I grew up watching Rocco's Modern Life. I loved it when I was a kid. Um, it is uh, it is so smart and subversive. Uh, and uh, so this uh, new, it's like a short movie. It's like a 45 minute long episode, whatever you want to call it. Um, it is rated uh, uh, TV Y7. Uh, I have a seven-year-old at home. I'm not sure I would show it to her. So parents beware, uh, but it is, uh, it's funny. Uh, and it's as uh, sharp and satirical as ever. Really incredible uh, and, uh, and, and biting observations about, uh, about pop culture and our current moment. Rocco at one point says uh, that the premise of the show is that they have been uh, floating in outer space for 20 years. They come back to Earth uh, to discover what uh, life is like in uh, 2019. And Rocco at one point says, man, the 21st century is dangerous. Uh, and I think that, that just captured it uh, right there. Um, it's a really, really sad and biting uh, commentary on our moment uh, told through the uh, lens of a cartoon wallaby. Um, it's really great. What are you going for this week, Jesse? Uh, so earlier over the summer, I was on a uh, vacation. I was on a long uh, flight and scrolling through those uh, screens, the United Entertainment Center that was in the seat back in front of me. Uh, looking for something to watch. And I watched an episode of Veep. uh, And I can't believe I never watched this show before. Uh, Veep Uh is a hilarious show with Julia um, Louis-Dreyfus. It's actually the third show she won an Emmy for. Um, She also won an Emmy for 
Seinfeld won an Emmy for the new adventures of old Christine. Um, and it's hysterical. I, the show just ended uh, the series finale. The end of season seven was this past spring, but I am currently binge watching all seven seasons. Uh, and I don't know why I did not watch it before. Uh, it is amazing political commentary about our screwed up political system. Uh, <laughs> certainly appropriate now as the uh, democratic party's primary process is in a full steam um, and really, Really, uh, a, a nice break from the challenging realities of uh, the world, and also a reminder of uh, how unintentionally funny uh, our elected officials sometimes are, for better or for worse. Yes, I have, I have three things really quickly to say about Veep. The first is, uh, growing up watching Seinfeld, uh, who would have known that Julie Louis Dreyfus would uh, was the most talented and funniest and would have been the most success, su successful of all of them post Seinfeld. Amazing. Uh, two, um, I am totally here for Tony Hale uh, in uh, Veep and in everything. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw Toy Story 4 uh, this summer, Jesse, but Tony Hale was forky in Toy Story 4 and gave the performance of a lifetime. Amazing movie and amazing performance by Tony Hale in that and in Veep. And the final thing I want to say is I have a, a, a congregant who um, uh, works high up in um, in Virginia state politics and I and has been involved in political life uh, for a long time. And I asked him once, I said, well, you know, behind the scenes, uh, it, are politics more like Veep or more like House of Cards? And he paused for a second and looked at me very seriously and said, I don't know, which would make you feel which would give you more comfort? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, you know, probably a little yeah. bit sometimes. Right, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up today's episode. Yes. yes. Yeah, great to, great to talk with you about this, Jesse. Uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with another episode of Pop Goes the Torah. 